Good morning, Freedom House. Welcome to all of you, and welcome to those of you that are joining us online from Oregon, Illinois, Michigan, West Virginia. Man, West Virginia, you were watching first service too. Georgia, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Delaware, South Carolina, Indiana, and Washington. So glad you guys are tuning in and watching. And for those of you in the room, uh, we are so glad you are here. And just want to make it clear, if it's your first time, want to explain to you how we do things here at Freedom House. All of our campuses have live teachers and speakers at every single one of them. So today, Pastor Troy is at Lake Norman. Who, who's at South End today? Pastor Michael? I think Pastor Michael's at South End, and then I get to be here with you. But all of our campuses, you get a fresh, live word from God. So love it and love that I get to be here. Uh, I wanted to uh, just continue in this series, what does the Bible say about? And before I tell you what my topic is, you have to know, I like doing the ones that most people find really challenging to talk about. Uh, I love kind of breaking down things that maybe the world has gotten wrong or gotten confused or... Lots of people don't want to talk about it because it might need further explanation. Those are the ones I like. So uh, before I kick that off, I have to tell you a story. Uh, for those of you uh, that do not follow me on social media, raise your hand if you don't follow me right now. Raise your hand. Okay, you need to follow at Penny Maxwell right now. Because I, I showed a picture of our sweet, we have two dogs. One of them, her name is Reese. We, she was a rescue we got in December. Put the little picture of Reese up with the, isn't she so cute? So keep, keep her up for a minute. I just think she's adorable. Uh, well, you can take her down. She's so distracting. She's so adorable. I just want to like squeeze that little face. She's so cute. All right, so here, here's the thing about Reese. The week of Christmas, we had friends that were coming in town, and they weren't originally planning on staying through Christmas, so they decided to, so I wanted to make sure that their room and everything had a Christmas tree, wreaths. I really you know, decorated up their room. So I had to go to Home Goods. And if you remember this past Christmas, it was super, super cold and it was like freezing rain the entire week. So here I was at Home Goods and I'm walking out and there's a man literally abandoning little Reese. I don't know what her name originally was, but he abandoned her right there. And I was like, wait, what are you doing? And he, he just said, I don't, I don't want the dog. I, I just, and I was like, what are you, like, are you joking? Are you for real? And he hands me the leash and he walks away. And it's 34 degrees and it's like this sleet kind of heavy rain is falling and I'm standing there getting drenched. And I go and get in the car with this dog. And the irony is, is I had asked for another dog a few days before. And my husband has said what he said the last umpteen years. No, we don't need another dog. We have a dog. The answer is no. 
And I thought, he is gonna think I pulled a fast one on him when I show up at the house and I have another dog with me. He's gonna think like I was messing with him. And I, I remember sending him a text message and he was on a missions trip at the time thinking maybe he'll be in a good mood if he gets this. I knew he was probably in mid-flight and he may or may not get this. So he gets home and coincidentally, everything that I was supposed to circle back around and pick up that they were gonna put in my car at home goods, I left because I completely forgot about it. I got so focused on this dog. I had to go back that night and get everything. But he gets home and I tell him that, legitimately I've called people about the dog trying to see if we could find a home because by this time I realize it's a little girl and she's following him around the house. He'd go in one room, she'd go in another. He turns and he's like, oh. He gets down and he's petting her and he's like, I think she likes me. (laughs) Ever since, those two have not been separated That was the week of Christmas. And let me just tell you, Troy Maxwell is smitten. He even got, like, went online and got, like, this little service dog thing so she could go to the grocery store, so she could go everywhere with him. (laughs) I have never seen a muscly man go so goo-goo over a little white poodle in my life. But I tell you, I tell him, I said, I don't know who rescued who. Because this dog and Troy Maxwell are like, I mean, my little dog Snickers, let me, let me show you Snickers. Put up a picture. Is he not the cutest thing? He is so cute. We've had him for 15 years. Until we got Reese, he was never allowed to sleep in the bed. But Reese, who is our rescue dog, sleeps with Troy every night. 15 years, Snickers was never allowed in the bed. Reese and Snickers, of course, they're on separate sides. I tell you that to say, as cute and as adorable as she is, uh, Reese has a little issue that we're trying to help her process with. And it's called resource guarding. Let me show you a picture of her with her chewy baton. That is her in her purse. Pastor Olin and Tammy bought it for her. And if you flip it over, it's got the chewy baton logo and stuff on it. It's really quite funny, but she does not like Snickers anywhere near her chew toys, anywhere near her stuff, and heaven forbid, he walk by when her food bowl is out. She will get gnarly and nasty, and the cute little dog with the pink bow turns into Cujo. And it is the most shocking thing you have ever seen. It it literally is so distressing that twice she pinned Snickers down by his throat. To the point where we had to have a dog trainer come in because we were seriously concerned. And she is the sweetest thing. But, but when her food bowl is out or you get near one of her toys and we called the trainer and we're like, what is going on? And that's when she explained to us what resource guarding is. She said that is Reese asserting her ownership Because she will literally give you the side eye if you come near her stuff. 
because of her past and whatever she went through before she got into our house, she sees resources or food in a limited supply. And the trainer said that it's rooted in fear, anxiety, and insecurity. And so she sees these things and her history and whatever happened to her has developed this pattern. And even though we are the ones that own the food, that own the toys and give everything to her, she has this need to try and protect herself from a 105-year-old little Snickers dog. In dog years, he's 105. He is no threat to her. She just perceives everything as a threat because of where she has come from, because of what has happened in her past. And you know, it's funny that something so cute can literally turn into a vicious little monster. But it's interesting, even though I put her picture up there today, I think many of us could have our pictures up there for resource guarding. Because even though God and his abundance has given us all things to enjoy, somehow, some way, we get uncomfortable. We think it's ours. We think it belongs to me. And we don't trust God. And what we do is we start trying to be protective and guarding all of our stuff. It's mine. Isn't it interesting when your kids were growing up, you never one time, and and I'm sure they never saw you walking around your house going, mine, 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 mine. We don't talk that way as adults. But every child screams, mine, mine, mine. It's innate in them. And it's our job and our responsibility to teach. I, I never one time taught my children to say that. It was this thing that came up out of them. It's the flesh nature. And so today, what we are going to do is we're going to work on this resource guarding. I'm not a dog trainer, but what I am is a pastor that wants to make sure that every area of your life, you are living blessed and that you are not doing things that are Uh, In opposition to the word of God, we are a word church, which means there is sometimes stinking thinking that we need to get rid of. I see a lot of stinking thinking going on in the world right now. People are confused. They don't understand their identity. They don't understand what God has said about marriage. I see all sorts of confusion. Our job as the church is to bring a biblical word to anything that you might face. So today, what does the Bible say about money? One of the most significant things that I see people have stinking thinking over is money. And we're going to talk about that because 16 out of 38 parables that Jesus taught were on the subject of money and possessions. But why do some churches not teach on such an important topic? Why do some churches avoid things that we need to be talking about today that's going on in the culture war? Well, here's the reason why. 
Some churches aren't standing up for our country. They aren't teaching certain things that need to be taught. Maybe you are coming out of a church and they never taught you biblical finances. I think that sometimes maybe the churches are resource guarding and afraid that something will be taken from them if they stand up and tell the truth because they are silent right now when it matters most for our voices to be heard. Maybe the churches are looking at people as their resource instead of God. So today, we're going to hit on these things. And for the record, I'm sure nobody is thinking this at all. I'm sure it never even crossed your mind. But if you think that Freedom House is a church that is all about the money, and that's why we're teaching on this subject Let me just tell you, then we did the dumbest thing we could ever do in 2020, 2021, 2022, 2023 by speaking the way that we speak because just by nature of saying the things that we say, it causes, when we said in 2020 that BLM was a farce, that the organization was wrong, that the organization was taking people down the wrong direction, and everybody and their brother was BLM, BLM, BLM. And we're like, no, 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 no. This is, a, this is about division. They are not godly. They do not care, actually, about the color of your skin. The feminist movement doesn't care about your gender. And Target certainly doesn't care about the gay agenda. They've turned you into a money-making opportunity. And so when we started saying that, people who thought that BLM was like the modern-day Martin Luther King Jr. coming to save them got super upset and left. And they were like, take it back, take it back, or we're leaving. We're like, we can't take it back. We're pastors. We have to tell you the truth. It's like the rich young ruler. When Jesus told him what he needed to do, it says he walked away. Our job is to tell you the truth. It's your job of whether you want to hear it or not. But we won't back away from that. So understand this today. Understand this, we're going to continue to stand up against what's going on. If our heart was trying to appease somebody or something for financial gain, we would have never kept the church open during the pandemic. It's cheaper to do church online. No cleaning bills, no lawn maintenance, none of that. We had the news media coming after us. We have people calling us granny killers. Understand, if that was our heart, we were the only ones standing up. We certainly, the Bible says, who would look at a field and not consider the cost before you purchase it? We looked, we knew there was a cost, and we said, sign us up. If everybody walks away, we'll start again tomorrow with nothing. Do you understand? I just want to get that out of the way so there are no hindrances. I don't care what church you came from and what happened there. We are not them. This is Freedom House. And if you're squirming today, good. 
If you're annoyed, good. If you're irritated, great. If you're looking around for the exits, there's five of them, good. What that shows me is you're the one that needs to hear this because there's some type of emotional allergy that you need to take some spiritual Benadryl for because there's something in you. If I were to talk about marriage and you had a good marriage, you'd be saying, amen, amen. If I were to talk about marriage and you had a bad marriage, you'd be going, oh me, oh me. It's either amen or oh me. So if talking about money makes you squirm, you need to be saying oh me because it's a topic that ends more marriages than anything else. And the church should be teaching on this. The church should be because Hosea 4.6 says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. So we're not going to coexist with stinking thinking. We're actually going to get rid of it. One of the troubling characteristics of a fallen humanity is our tendency to want to compartmentalize what we believe from what we actually do. And Jesus addresses this divorce between what we profess and what we do when he says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Money and how you spend it tell a story about you. The question is, what story is it telling? We're gonna talk about some of these truths and get rid of the stinking thinking. So I thought what I would do is just give you some top areas of stinking thinking that I've heard in the last 31 years of pastoring. Number one is money is the root of all evil. It's not true. What does the Bible actually say in 1 Timothy 6.10? It says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Love of money is the root, not money itself. Money does not have a life. It cannot act on its own. It cannot do good deeds. Money cannot commit crimes. It's basically neither good nor bad. It has to do with whose hands it is in. From the seduction of success to the lure of lust, many things in this world will vie for your affection and devotion. But the most significant idol that you will face is money. Matthew 6, 24 says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one, and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now, I wanna make this very clear because this isn't talking about if you just have a lot. Did you know that you can be a slave to money and have a little? You can have a mindset like Reese, this resource guarding. 
just always trying to protect what you feel like is yours. That's actually an orphan spirit. And when you understand that you've been adopted into God's kingdom, you don't walk around with an orphan spirit on your life. We either believe the word of God or we are divorcing ourselves from what we know to be true versus what we are actually doing. Hebrews 13, 5 says this, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or abandon you. You don't need to have an orphan spirit. As a matter of fact, the, the, the gospel, the Bible says, I have never seen the righteous forsaken or God's children begging for bread. Do we believe the word of God? Well, I can tell you there's a really easy way that God established for us to figure out if we actually trust him or not. And it's called the tithe. God instituted the tithe, which the word tithe literally means tenth. And it's not just a tenth, it's the first 10% of our income that goes directly back to the house of God. Now, 10 is the number of testing, and you will see it all throughout the Bible. Tithe is literally a test to see if you trust him. Will you be faithful? Do you trust God or do you trust in your resources? Do you want to look and be able to count and see what your bank account looks like and then go, oh, yeah, 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 I trust? Or do you trust because you know the giver of life? Which is it? That's why David got in trouble. The Bible says it's because he started to count his troops and number his troops. It wasn't wrong for him to know how many troops he had. What was wrong is when he put his trust in the troops instead of his trust in the Lord. It's so interesting to me how easy we want to call something ours when actually it all belongs to the Lord. And we're going to dive deeper in that in a minute. Let's, let's go a step further. Number two, number two way that we can have stinking thinking is we can think if we tithe that we are generous. I am so generous because I just tithe. No, no, no. You don't give the tithe. The Bible says you return the tithe. Leviticus 27.30 says, and all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. When Reese comes and she brings her little toy at my feet, she's not being generous. It's actually my toy that I'm letting her use. You understand? Let me give you another picture, and this is an example I love to use. Our oldest son is 26, and 
He used to come pick us up from the airport a lot, and I would leave my car keys on the counter, and I would say, hey, Kolbs, can you, can you, his name's Colby, can you pick us up from the airport? This is when Dad and I's flight come in. He, if he came to the airport, and he, he picked us up, and he got home, and he said, hey, Mom, Mom, come here. I, I've got something for you. I just want you to know, Mom, how generous I am. Here's, here's your Yukon. Mom, I am so generous. Here you go. Here's the keys to the Yukon. Is that generosity? He's returning to me what was already mine. Now, if he said, hey, mom, here's the keys to your Yukon. I just want you to know that I really appreciate the fact that you look out for me, you've cared for me, I appreciate you letting me use the car, knowing that it's yours. I filled it up full of gas. I had the whole thing shampooed and vacuumed, and it even smells like a really good scent, and I got the tires all nice and shiny like you like them. That would be generous. But returning back to someone what was never yours to begin with is not generosity. Here's the thing I also want you to know is that the tithe actually predates the law. In essence, tithing is not under the law. Tithing predates the law because God said to Adam and Eve, you can enjoy everything in the garden You have to tend everything in the garden, but this one thing, you still have to tend to it, but you don't get to eat from this particular tree. And you know what happened, because just like Adam and Eve, there is a part of us that somehow thinks we get what God said no to. When we do that, the devourer has access into our life. I can tell you this, I would rather have 90% that is blessed than keep 100% that is cursed. Now, let me just break this down deeper. Tithe is the first 10%. Tithe literally means 10th, so you can never say, oh, I tithe 20%. You don't. Nobody can tithe 20%. What you can do is you can tithe 10% and you can give an offering over and above. An offering is anything that you give that is above the tithe. And here we call those people kingdom builders. Just like what Pastor Sam, uh, actually Pastor Michael said earlier, the person at one of our campuses who who came to Pastor Olin and said, hey, whatever is given today for Freedom Academy, I'm gonna double it. That's a kingdom builder. And I'm praying that's a really big check they have to write because I believe in that school. And coincidentally, it is not attached to Freedom House. It has a separate tax ID, a separate board, everything else. It's a completely separate entity. But I gave today in that because I believe and these children being raised in the right way. And there's no way I'm gonna let the world do what it's doing 
and not stand up and do something about it. And I would also say my children are 26, 24, and 22. They do not go to the school, and I gave. Because I care about our children. I care about our youth. Understand there's a difference between a tithe and an offering. Listen to how Luke describes an offering. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. The tithe is not discretionary, the offering is. And whatever you decide in the offering, it is up to you. But understand that God says, hey, whatever you dish, he's going to dish it back the same. That's what we have to understand. That is referring to an offering. And here's what I would just say to you before. If you've never tithed before, start there first. Please start just being, being obedient to the Lord. Start there. Be obedient first, and generosity kicks in and comes after. Here, here's another one. I, I love this one. Here's another stinking thing, and that the church should not talk about money. We talk about things that are in the Bible. We talk about things that Jesus talked about. Here's what I would say the church shouldn't do. I would say the church should never beg for money. If there is a church or a TV preacher or whoever begging for money, what they're saying is, I don't trust God as my source. I'm gonna emotionally manipulate in order to get people to respond instead of teaching people to obey the word of God. It's about obeying God's word and God should always be our source. A church should never, ever do something like that, beg or plead. Our job is to preach the gospel, and if you get it and you want to live your life that way, that is amazing. Our job is always to preach the truth. Our job is not to convince you, beg you, do like a little song and dance, hoping that you'll get it. Our job is to say, this is the word of God. It is up to you whether you walk it out or not. And I can tell you what I found is it's much better following the word of God. It actually works. And if you believe that it works, you do what it says. Now, there are churches that would not talk about a lot of things that we talk about here. They wouldn't talk about money because they wouldn't want anybody to think a certain thing. I'm like, why would you not teach people vision? Why would you not teach people what the Bible has to say about their finances? If you're gonna live with one leg on either side of the fence and you're trying to straddle culture and, you know, well, let's just keep, let's just make it so everybody is happy and nobody gets upset. If I can promise you, if your goal is for people to not be upset, you're placating. Jesus made plenty of people upset because they were people that needed course correcting. And what I found is if you're living with one leg straddled on either side of the fence, you're living like that, something in the middle is going to get hurt. (laughs) We're not called as Christians to straddle 
the fence. That is not who God created us to be. As a matter of fact, what I think churches should be doing is casting vision. The Bible says that the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the just and the church needs to have a vision plan so people want to get behind it, so people want to support it because in Matthew 28, I was reading where the chief priests were paying off soldiers to carry out a plan to capture Jesus. And then you see the Pharisees paid off Judas to uh, get them to capture Jesus. The world is always casting vision and trying to get people to buy in financially. I think that the church should be casting vision and giving people an opportunity to join in the kingdom of God with what the Lord is doing. And here's what I know. There are plenty of churches in Charlotte that are a lot cheaper to go to. They're never going to put anything out before you, but they're churches without vision. We will always lay a plan out and tell you where we're headed. And if you want to go along with us, that would be great. We would love the army to get bigger. But you will not see us begging, pleading, manipulating, or anything else. That is not the Jesus style. Jesus would lay it out and say, here you go. Life and death are in front of you. You get to choose. All of us get to choose. But I tell you what, if the world funds its vision to tell a lie, how important is it that we fund the vision of God to tell the truth? Instead of trying to save the whales, what if we save the babies? Instead of looking on other planets for life, what if we actually on this planet decided to save lives? How amazing would that be? All right, another, another uh, stinking thinking is that prosperity is a bad word. Prosperity isn't a bad word. It's actually a Bible word. 3 John 1, 2 says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. Over 2,000 verses are on money. It's more than faith and prayer combined together. Here's what I will tell you about the prosperity word. Here at Freedom House, we don't believe in the quote-unquote prosperity gospel but we absolutely do believe that prosperity is in the gospel. Now, for those of you that don't know what the prosperity gospel is, it's, hey, you write a check today and God will get you your jet tomorrow. Hey, you write a check today and anything you need, God will drop it in your lap tomorrow by noon. That is not true. God is a faithful God. But it's not, you know, you just name it and claim it. Mm -mm. No, let me tell you what the Bible does say. 1 Kings 2, 3. And keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, and his testimonies. As it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do, and wherever you turn, 
Job 36, 11, if they listen and serve him, they will complete their days in prosperity and their years in pleasantness. Second Chronicles 31, 21, and every work that he undertook in the service of the house of God and in accordance with the law and the commandments, seeking his God, he did with all his heart and prospered. Psalm 1, 3. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yield its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he... Psalm 35, 27. Let them shout for joy and be glad who favor my righteous cause and let them say continually, let the Lord be magnified who has pleasure in the of his servant. Spiritually, physically, financially, relationally, emotionally, every area of your life, God wants you prospering. And that includes your finances, which leads me to the next stinking thinking. That God wants you poor. I cannot tell you how we have had to work the poverty mentality out of a lot of Christians who have grown up a certain way thinking that humility and being poor go hand in hand. That is not the truth. Here's the truth. You either get to be a blessing or you're going to need a blessing. Which would you rather do? Now, there's the prosperity gospel in this ditch, and then there's the poverty gospel in this ditch. God doesn't want us living in either ditch. As a Christian, I don't think it honors a God who bankrupt heaven to give you Jesus where he says he wants you to prosper in all things and you're living a just get by life because somebody told you that it was honoring God to, here's the thing, the money's the root of, no, 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 money is a tool. And in the righteous hands, it's a great tool. See money for what it is. It is a tool. Let me give you some scriptures to make sure that I'm not preaching heresy, that you hear this is the word of God. Psalms 84:11 For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Proverbs 10:22. Listen to this. The blessing of the Lord makes one rich and he adds no sorrow with it. Proverbs 22:4. The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. John 10.10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life 
and have it abundantly. Isaiah 60, verse five. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. Isaiah 48, 17. Thus says the Lord, who? Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord your God. Listen to this. Who teaches you to prosper, to to profit, who leads you in the way you should go. Philippians 4, 19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Jesus, and one more just for good measure. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor, so that you, by his poverty, leaving heaven, coming down here, anything on this earth compared to what he had is poverty. So that you might become rich. What does that word rich mean? It's the Greek word plutos, and it means riches, wealth, abundance, both materially and spiritually. Understand, it is not God's desire that you be poor in any area of your life, and that includes your finances. This whole thing of, you know, in order for me to honor God, I can't have anything. God doesn't care if you have things. He absolutely does care if things have you. There is a difference. We don't care what kind of car you drive, what kind of house you live in. If you are honoring God first, those things will happen. It is a byproduct Think of a water hose. The purpose of the water hose is to, when you're plugged into the source, is to take that water, it runs through the hose and gets to the intended target. Our job as Christians is to plug into the source and be a conduit for the Holy Spirit to work. But understand... In the process of doing that, the hose gets wet in the process. There is nothing wrong with God blessing you. As a Christian, get out of your mind. I've had people tell me, oh, I drive a different car to church so nobody will see my car. Guys, we've got to get over that. You will either be, people will either be inspired or intimidated. If they're intimidated, that's on them. If they're inspired, they'll come and say, hey, I'd like to talk to you. I believe in God for some things in my life. The same if they see you prospering in your marriage, they will come and ask you, hey, how did you get there? We should be helping people get where they need to be, not hiding a blessing in our life. Here's the other thing I would say is I also hear people say that pastors should be poor. 
I don't subscribe to that either. I am also a child of God. The principles in the Bible, they don't just work for you, they work for me too. I believe that God supplies seed to the sower, which is why I'm sowing. It is not wrong if a farmer plants a crop to expect a harvest on the crop that he has planted. I do not believe in being poor. My husband grew up very poor, and he's had to work on a poverty mindset. I grew up where my family had a lot of money, and you know what? Our home was miserable because we didn't, God wasn't the center. Let me just tell you, in either extremes, neither one is good. But here's what I will tell you. If you are a good sower, God will get seed into your hand. And as a pastor, if I can't demonstrate and display that in my own life, how am I supposed to ask you to do that? Pastor Troy and I have lots of other things that we do, and some people don't know this, besides pastoring the church. We've been flipping houses for the last 31 years that we've been married, getting ready to flip another one. When you buy a house for 500000 and you turn around and sell it for one5 I don't think God's mad at that especially when the tithe is about to come into the church. Do you understand what I'm saying? And I know there's a lot of hoopla over, you know, pastors and their houses, and there was stuff all over the the news about a, a local pastor. I don't care what kind of house somebody has as long as there's nothing shady going on. I don't care if you wrote a bunch of books and did, I don't care about that. Now, what I will tell you, Is if anybody were to think, I talked about the church, now I'm going to talk about my personal life for a second. If anybody were to try to say, well, you know, look look at Pastor Penny, because I've had people go, "Uh, you don't look like a pastor's wife, you don't, and I'm like, no, I don't wear beige, and I don't sit on the front row and be quiet. I started with, uh, I started college going for a degree in fashion design. I didn't. I didn't just all of a sudden become a Christian and things that I liked before didn't matter. So sometimes people want to try to put you in this little package. I probably won't fit in the package if it's where you came from because I kind of am my own person and who God created me to be. There isn't this mold or this model that people try to fit me into. I probably won't fit into it. And here's the thing that I want you to understand. This is very important to understand. God wants you to be an original, not a copy of something else. And I know when Pastor Troy and I came out of the business community and we sold off our stuff and we, we were both bankers and we did really well in the business community, we wanted to take everything that we had done in business and use it for the Lord. And we'd always used our finances, but now it's our time, our talent, and our treasure. And we still have things that we do on the side, and I call it my purse fund. I have a design business, and I call it my purse fund. My husband one year made me call it the animal needs a vet fund. (laughs) Made me use it for that. But what I can tell you is if Pastor Troy and I had ill motives, all the books we'd written not that there's any, please understand me, they were books that we chose to write, and 
My life story is my life story. I have every opportunity to profit off that if I wanted to. I'm just saying every book that we have ever written has gone back out to missions. Pastor Olin gets a check every month from Amazon from books that are sold and everything else, and that goes to missions. They're they're all earmarked. We believe, and I said, God, if you allow me to do this, it's seed where I can keep sowing. So let's get over these things and have honest, open dialogue. And let me actually tell you what 1 Timothy 5, 17 actually does say. The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor. That word honor is a financial word. It's the same word where it says, honor the Lord with the first fruits. Especially those who work in preaching and teaching. Understand that this whole pastor should be poor stuff, just like you being poor, it's ridiculous. You, you can't be a blessing if you're always needing one. The next, and I'm just gonna kind of close this, land this, I can't afford to tithe. I'm going through a hard time. God will just understand. Chances are you're going through a hard time because you didn't put God first or we're just a poor steward. Maybe you had too much debt, made unwise choices. Maybe you spent more than you brought in and you need to rework your budget. But what I think is interesting, it's amazing to me how many times we wanna change the Bible to morph into our current situation and think God will just understand. God laid his word out. What I would say to you is you can't afford not to tithe. Get your priorities straight and watch what God will do in your life. I got a text last week. I preached this message at our Lake Norman campus and a family that has a beach home that was really trying to get their rentals straight texted me after the message and they said, you know, we were believing for a certain amount of income on our beach rentals. We didn't realize, we thought the tithe could just go anywhere that it wanted, we would still give some to Freedom House, but we weren't bringing it to the storehouse. We were kind of sending it everywhere. And we went online and we changed that immediately. And not three minutes after that, our beach house was booked. I am telling you the word of God works. You will never come in second by putting God first. I'm gonna close with this scripture, Malachi 3, starting in verse six. For I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore, you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. Yet from the days of your fathers, you have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. Return to me. Listen, he's using the word return. He's not saying give. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, and what shall we return Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. Notice he didn't just say in tithes. You are cursed with the curse for you have robbed me. Even this whole nation. Bring all of the tithes, not just some, not a portion. You can't give to your grandma and call it a tithe. You can't give to the preacher on TV and call it a tithe. Bring all of the tithes into the storehouse. What's the storehouse? 
Well, it explains it, that there may be food in my house. It's God's house. Try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. The only time in the Bible God says, I will actually do this on your behalf. Every other time, he says, I've given you the tools to fight. You go fight. This time, he says, I will do this for you. I will rebuke the devourer for your sake so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. Will you stand on your feet with me? You know, the thing that is so interesting and amazing and all inspiring to me is when you read the Bible from beginning to end, the whole thing is connected together. And when you read in the Old Testament about how God required a sacrifice for every firstborn that were to come through the womb of the animals, God was very specific. If it was a firstborn lamb, they would sacrifice the lamb, believing God for the other nine to come. That's why you don't count the 10 and then at the end of the month go, okay, okay, I've got 10 now. So God, I'll give you this. Because what you're saying is, God, I don't trust you. I just want to make sure I had enough and then I'll give, give this to you. Mm-mm. God is saying the first is mine. Return it back to me and watch if I won't open the windows of heaven. Watch, you'll have the other nine and not just the other nine, but exceedingly abundantly. But see, watch this. What would happen is if an unclean animal had a first animal to come through the womb, lambs were clean, say it was a donkey, the first to break the womb, there had to be a sacrifice. But you can't sacrifice an unclean animal. So what they would do is they would take the clean animal to redeem the unclean. And when that first donkey would come through, they would take a lamb or a clean animal, a goat, and they would sacrifice it, showing God, God, thank you for providing. We believe and trust in you. Take that scenario and move it over to the New Testament. Humanity was flawed and full of sin. God said, I need to redeem. But he couldn't go to you or me to redeem because we were unclean. Had to be a lamb that would be sacrificed. So he looked around and he said, I've got to give Jesus. He's the only clean one. The Bible says that Jesus was the tithe. He was the first fruits of many brethren to come. And so God sent Jesus to redeem the unclean, you and me, sacrificed him first, believing that you and I would come later. Would you close your eyes and bow your heads? I wanna ask you this question today. 
I wanna ask you, have you been putting God first in your life? In every area of your life, have you been honoring God? Have you put Him first? Anything that we put in front of God, He calls it an idol and He won't bless. If today you know, man, God, I need to put you first. God, I feel like I've, I've slacked on that my time, my talent, my treasure, whatever that is, if you know that you just need to come back and you need to put God in his rightful position today, could you just lift your hand up? Just lift your hand up and say, that's me. That's me. I'm gonna put God back in his rightful place in his rightful position. So many hands. I know there's those of you online too. Please make sure that you say something in the the chat on there so somebody can be praying with you as well. I'd like for everybody, whether you're in here or online, I'd like for you to say this with me. Say, Heavenly Father, we come before you right now through the blood of Jesus to receive the sacrifice. We know we were unclean. God, we thank you that we are made clean through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. We accept that into our life and we commit today to change things. We want a fresh start. We want a do-over. No shame, no guilt. Just looking forward. In Jesus' name, amen.